just very quickly before we get into the episode, I want to say a huge thank you to two of our patrons over on Patreon who joined the Rainbow Parent level. Amazing. Thank you so, so much, uh, Jennifer and Toby. If you too would like to be a rainbow parent, then head over to patreon.com forward slash the queer movie podcast. That's one of the perks over there. We also have other levels, including access to the discord and monthly movie watch alongs, lists of our recommendations of various queer movies. So if that sounds up your alley, check it out. Welcome to the queer movie podcast celebrating the best and worst in lgbtq plus cinema one glorious genre at a time i'm rowan ellis <laughs> yeah you are and i'm jazza John. yeah you are <laughs> each episode we discuss a movie from a different genre of cinema this episode's genre is queer, queer comeback come what 2023 I, I that wasn't meant to be in there yeah the script was originally just just changed the script from queer oscars 2023 to queer comeback but forgot to take out the 2023 yeah thanks for letting them peek behind the curtain it's just everyone hey every, everyone this is just a little peek behind the behind the scenes of the well old mm-hmm. machine that is the queer movie podcast spoiler alert we're talking about another oscar winning movie mm. today um we're going to be talking about the somewhat controversial the whale based on the 2012 play by the same name and starring the human embodiment of your 90s nostalgia, Brendan Fraser. Mm. So before we run away from a religious cult in order to pretend to be in another religious cult, Chazza, what's the gayest thing you've done since the last episode? I'm going to keep this nice and short, nice and sweet. Mm -hmm. Uh, There is, I'm a Brooklyn gay now. Did I mention I moved to New York? Uh, I don't think you have. I don't think anyone on this podcast was even aware of that. It's been so long since you've mentioned it. Happy to announce. Um, and one thing that the Brooklyn queers are good at is high camp and stupidity. Mm-hmm. And I went to a queer drag retelling of Frozen Incredible. the other week. That is pretty gay. Where Olaf um, ended up doing a strip tease to Cool for the Summer. Oh, stunning. And Elsa started off as Elvis and her let it go moment was um, realizing that she isn't Elvis and is indeed Elsa. It was really outstanding, iconic, fantastic stuff. I will be going back for more. Love Mm. it. Nice. Mm-hmm. How about you? Well, I was, I've was i been nominated for two different awards. Oh, for fuck's sake. What <laughs> the- <laughs> Sorry. Um, the Diva Awards for Influencer of the Year and the UKLA Awards for my book, which has been nominated in the nonfiction category for any, any age. Congratulations. Oh my God, that thank you. Which means I get cool. to go to two award ceremonies. Which I'm mainly excited about because I feel do you like... Need, do you get a plus one? Do you get a plus one? Yeah, but you're not... I'm not inviting you from Brooklyn. Oh. I mean, if you're going to be in the UK, obviously, but I'm my, oh. I'm, I'm kind of thinking you're probably going to be in America where... You mean they don't have budget for, for plus one? To fly ones? you over? Um, No, unfortunately. No. That would have been shame. my... Hurtful. My but I totally dearest understand. dream, but no. Mm-hmm. Who are you up against? Annoyingly... It's great people that I probably would vote for instead of me. So I'm like, honestly, just enjoy- I'm just happy to be here, babes. I'm just, I'm excited just, for the free food. It's an honor food. to be nominated. Honor just to be nominated. I'm excited for the free food. I'm excited to dress up. I'm excited for the fact that I specifically messaged the, the Diva Awards person who told me I've been nominated and about when the uh, ceremony was to be like, hi, 
I have quite bad social anxiety. Could you please sit me with my friends? Because I, <laughs> I don't think you get a plus one to that ceremony. So I was like, hello, please, can you sit me with my friends? And they were like, yeah, sure. I was like, okay, thank you. That's really, that's really, really sweet. Everyone go and vote for Rowan. So I think it's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Thanks, guys. Awesome. As well as giving you a rundown of what happens in this movie and giving it a little bit of a review, obviously, first, we're going to give some background on where the hell Brendan Fraser has been all this time. And also, shall we say, the critical response to the movie and its themes. Uh, as always, we're going to be spoiling this movie. So if you care about that stuff, do go and watch it before listening to this. But we do want to say that the film itself and therefore this whole podcast episode does deal with some quite triggering, potentially triggering themes around things like eating disorders, fat phobia, homophobia, religious trauma, substance abuse, a lot of stuff. So we understand if you would like to skip that, you can just you can just have a little look uh, at some of our other episodes and see if there's something that's a little bit more cheery for you. Everything Everywhere All at Once is basically me just having a wonderful time talking about Michelle Yeoh. So I can highly recommend that if, that, if you haven't <laughs> An excellent that choice, yes. But yes, thank you. Um, without further ado... Let's pen ourselves a haiku about how much we hate everyone and review The Whale. So when we're talking about the critical response to this movie and and the kind of discourse, shall we say, around it, I think it's safe to say that most of it revolves around the fact that this is in particular a portrayal of a a fat person and the Mm -hmm. ways in which we have an actor wearing a fat suit, the ways in which his fatness is like integral to the story. I think from the very first, like the moment it got announced that it was being made and it was called The Whale and like the log line was that this man was essentially like dying from uh, health concerns that had stemmed from his fatness. Like immediately people had commentary on it before they'd even seen it. And then after they saw it, a lot of the reviews have... Uh, I mean, I feel like all the reviews that I have seen have at least dealt with it in some major way within the review, if not had the review be the entirety of the commentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, essentially people coming down on two different sides. For for some people, it is looking at what the director seems to have been aiming at in terms of creating a character who the audience can have empathy for that isn't you know utilizing fatness in a fat suit for like comedy's sake which has traditionally been a lot of usage of of fat suits within Hollywood if you think about like uh Monica in Friends and like Mm -hmm. those kind of elements like Shallow Howl stuff like that so he definitely has kind of talked about his intentions within the movie and those have very much uh revolved around trying to create this like a complex view of this character and something that takes it away from just being based in stereotype. Mm -hmm. But a lot of critics have pointed out that even though those might be the intentions, there are still a lot of stereotypes and kind of stereotypical motifs and ideas around fatness, which are portrayed within the movie. And that some of the more obvious elements of the experience of fat people that were absolutely relevant to the plot of the movie mm-hmm. really weren't dealt with. So for example, there's a big plot line around the fact that he refuses to get medical help mm-hmm. and the excuse being that like he doesn't have the money or insurance and then it being that he wants to like save the money he does have for his daughter and all this kind of stuff and kind of ignores the overwhelming kind of main reason that a lot of fat people don't engage in with medical services, which is the fat phobia within the medical profession. Mm-hmm. And that is like those, those things that kind of fat critics have talked about wanting to see to make this feel like a realistic portrayal 
weren't there and that there were some elements missing that meant that it didn't necessarily feel like it was coming into a realistic world of of this character and more that it was creating a story by which people who aren't fat could like learn something Mm -hmm. yeah it feels like it is used as a literary or a um an artistic device in this film yeah for us to feel things and i think for me anyway as a viewer i felt all of those things very effectively but from what i understand it is a lot of a lot of people who are larger have do not like this movie because Mm -hmm. of the way it is portrayed yeah i mean we've talked about this topic an awful lot but we also have someone in the form of brendan fraser who is neither queer and neither kind of like very very large as he portrays in this uh in this movie and potentially is taking away roles and representing a role from neither of those communities that both have had a real struggle with accurate and kind representation Mm. in the media yeah so there is this quote from aronofsky the director Mm. he did an interview in vanity fair saying, unfortunately, so many characters portrayed in the media who are living with obesity are treated awfully, either they're humiliated, made fun of, or just living in squalor. Uh, The whale, he said, isn't like that. And then the critic who had quoted this basically said, Uh. I had to to wonder if he's seen his own film. (laughs) (laughs) It's lit. (laughs) And also, which is because that's exactly what it is. And I think we'll talk a little bit about specific examples as we go through Mm. our discussion of the movie's plot. But this is also important to note that this isn't like one movie that's doing this. This is part of this like landscape of movies that either do not deal with fatness at all. Like a lot of critics have pointed out the fact that like, if you look at a crowd scene in movies, the fact that like, having people who aren't straight sized is like quite rare. Mm-hmm. Whereas in reality, if you look out just in your local town center or whatever, it's like a very different story, but also like the ways in which they, uh, fat people have been portrayed is often without empathy. It's often that they're side characters. Like it's very, there's very few portrayals that feel like authentic and truthful in a way, which is very ironic for a film that talks a lot about honesty as like its central tenet. I kept on thinking about, um, did you ever watch What's Eating Gilbert Grape? No. Johnny Depp stars in it and he has an obese mother, a morbidly obese mother who also is going through kind of like the final stages of her life. And it's incredibly voyeuristic and has a lot of the same kind of like themes of like disgust and of like just not very nice portrayals of kind of like what it's like to be a fat person. But she's the side character and it Mm -hmm. feels like all of those same problems from this movie in the 90s have now been landed on this central character and that's not to take away from kind of like the amazing and i think they are amazing performances mm-hmm. but i think the source material as well from the play also had uh, like this has run through the source material kind of like its whole its whole life this isn't just a problem with the movie yeah so there's i want to read like one quote from this uh, mm. critic that i feel like is kind of like the distills what a lot of people have said in quite a strong way it's not the benevolent premise that the director seems to think it is it proceeds from the assumption that a 600 pound man is inherently unlovable it's like walking up to a stranger on the street and saying you're an abomination but i love you anyway in keeping with the strong strain of self-satisfied christianity that the film purports to critique audience members get to walk around proud of themselves that they shed a few tears for this disgusting whale while gaining no new insight into what it's actually like to be that whale that is Mm -hmm. not empathy and I think that it's the fact that um, when when brought up on this criticism, the director essentially um, cited the fact that like, oh, it would 
have been too difficult to work with a performer who was that size. Oh, for goodness sake. And it's this this weird thing of like, <laughs> kind of big, like not being able to imagine how to accommodate someone who is the size of a character that you're meant to ha- to be creating an entire movie around. And yeah, which I think you've said that you kind of were looking into all of the information about the particular fat suit that was used. Mm-hmm. There were a lot of accommodations for that fat suit. Mm-hmm. So it was like, we can accommodate Frasier like using this prosthetic. Yeah, spending hours in the chair, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But we can't accommodate an actual human being in their body. So yeah, I do think it's, it's for me, I, I know that some people, this is, this is, um, there were also critics who didn't necessarily see the fat phobia in the same way or didn't think it was as bad. There's, there is a lot of discussion there. But in terms of my experience with it, it I kind of come down on the side of like, it did feel strangely like voyeuristic rather than necessarily mm. having like genuine empathy kind of coming into it. Mm-hmm. There's very little empathy for Frasier's character and the situation that he's in. It is all being uh, like, even the other characters around him they bring up how bad the way that he looks and what he is quote unquote doing to himself makes them feel. Mm -hmm. And it really, it really doesn't, I think, drill into kind of like the eating disorder that this guy has other than we're just as an audience meant to feel something about it. And that thing that we're meant to feel and intended to feel from the screenplay and the presentation is disgust. Mm -hmm. And that's a really... I'm okay if that's like part of like a suite of things that we have around like a nuanced character, but that's the only thing we're meant to feel about this character. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, that's disappointing. That's a missed opportunity and could have been something that they took from the original screenplay and like adapted for the screen maybe a little bit, like it coming out uh, over 10 years later. But no, but let's give it an Oscar. Um, Literally the fact suit got an Oscar over Wakanda forever. So... (laughs) I also wanted to talk, if you're done, um, uh, I'm done, please, response. I, please go on to your bits of context, Jazza. So I just wanted to give a little bit of a context around Brendan Fraser. So be, because a lot of this, I didn't really know until I, uh, I came to, to make this episode about the, uh, about the performance. Oh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, a lot of the stuff that happened in the last like few years with him, kind of like the return to Hollywood stuff had kind of gone under my radar, mm. but I, as a 30 year old, um, individual, um, grew up with Brendan Fraser as basically my closet key. George of the Jungle, yes, please. Mummy, Mummy Returns, Daddy, come for me. Like, he was <laughs> one of the... He was one of, like, the leading men with, like, a butt-ton of charisma. And interestingly, I think... I, I didn't kind of uh, notice this until I read the GQ article on him that came out in 2018 around the fact that he always played and the quality that he as like a non-character actor really at the time brought was like this optimism, naivety being dropped into a universe that he is kind of like the vessel for the audience to kind of like go through. George of the Jungle is like the extreme version of this, but it also happens for a lot of his roles, especially in the 90s. And he was like the big Hollywood it man all the way through to kind of like the late noughties when they did, when he kind of disappeared from Hollywood. We now know not just because of the press attention that he's gotten from around um, from being nominated and eventually winning Best Actor um, at the Oscars this year, but also from interviews and roundtables that he has done. 
with the Hollywood Reporter and GQ and stuff, that essentially Hollywood completely shattered Brendan Fraser, both physically and mentally. And he needed to take time out in order to like literally have surgery over seven years because he had done so much stunt work that his body had ended up being broken. He was going through kind of like personal stuff with relationships, but also uh, he went through uh, sexual harassment while he was at the peak of his career in 2003 when he, um, I don't know if we have to say allegedly, <laughs> um, but I'm I like, I think that his office still denied that this happened, but Phil Burke, who was previously a board member of the Hollywood um, Foreign Press Association, who do the Golden Globes, assaulted him at a press event in 2003. Allegedly. Allegedly, thank you so much. But then eventually was, in 2021, expelled from the HFPA. And so, allegedly. And Brendan Fraser only, like, off of the back of a lot of the female-led Me Too movement, Finally, eventually, as a guy in Hollywood, uh, during a period when a lot of the worst stuff around that then ended up being labelled Me Too, ended up um, coming uh, to it ahead, a couple of years later, Brendan Fraser spoke about his experience as well. And I think there was, of course, a space for kind of like all of the women in, in, in Hollywood to do this, but I think it was still really difficult for men to talk about sexual assault in this way. And the fact that he kind of like got this big kick from Hollywood and now has come back, won an Oscar for his work. I just really, and, and, and playing a role that is still kind of like true to him, but much more of like a hefty role, obviously. I think that's a, a, a lovely full circle moment. It's just mm. a shame about the fat suit. He's also got, it looks like some like upcoming productions as well. It's not one of those cases of like, he's mm -hmm. done this. He got his one movie he was allowed to do with his little mini comeback and then he never got hired again, um, which is really exciting. And he had been doing like some uh, stuff, bits and bobs like Doom Patrol, for example, basically in between him feeling able to talk about what had been happening and having this little mini renaissance up until now with kind of, it feels like it's culmination in the Oscars like four years later. Mm -hmm. which is and this is also something I've really saw in a lot of the reviews was sort of like a he's great and it's really annoying that this is the movie he's great in <laughs> so kind of the conclusion that people are yeah. coming to of like we don't want to say anything we don't want to say anything that's going to like belittle him and his career and what he's done but also we're not going to just not say anything about uh some issues that this movie has speaking of which shall we uh Get into the movie itself. Oh my God, Talk a little let's, bit about the plot. Let's get into the movie itself, I'd love to. So we split the films that we review into three acts because mm -hmm. it's the only way that we can process anything. And we like to, as a little bit of fun, give each of these acts... A title, a name. Oh, have you got a title, a name for the first act? I do have a title and a name for the first act. And it is, warning, Sean Cody kills. Wow. Yeah, fair. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Fair. Don't Google Sean Cody, kids. It's uh, it's not worth your browser history. <laughs> <laughs> well, the reason why it's called that is literally this first scene. Mm -hmm. um, so we learned that Charlie's a professor, or at least he's teaching college classes. He is doing it kind of via Zoom, 
none of the kids can see him because he's got his camera off kind of jokes about the fact that he uh you know the camera's broken but they're not missing anything and we essentially get this very strong setup that uh you know a student accidentally messages his mate in the main chat and he just laughs it off like he's very good humored mm -hmm. he's not getting frustrated at the students he's very sweet he's also giving some very good kind of foundational essay advice <laughs> All right, professional video essayist, Rowan Ellis. Smash cut to him mm -hmm. jerking off. So it's like, hey, he's a professor, he's nice, and he's gay. And you get that all all wrapped up in the first like minute of the movie. Such depth. Such depth. I fully thought, at this point, he starts reading a book report about Moby Dick. Yeah. And at this point, I fully thought it was like, you know those classic scenes of like guys who, where it's like, oh no, I got to think of oh my, my grandma God. because my dick is who It was like, oh, let oh me just God. read this book report on Moby Dick to try and like make myself slightly less horny right now because there's someone knocking at the door and I'm panicking and like my heart attack, I'm having a fucking heart attack. I cannot believe that. You, oh no, you, you did know that he was having a heart attack. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah, cool, yeah, cool. yeah. So I thought the, the fact it was that like, he was like, ow, this really hurts. Also, someone's at the door. Also, like, I need to, like, Got calm it. the fuck mm -hmm. down. I thought he was like, okay, I'm just going to read this fucking boring book report. And then it turned out to be a very emotional yeah. resonant part of the plot. And I was like, okay, let me just let me just uh, rewind my thoughts about what that beginning mm -hmm. scene was about. Because at the door is a missionary who's come to tell him the good word. Of all the times it could have happened, it had to be while he was jerking mm -hmm. off to gay porn and having a heart attack. He opens the door and the laptop is, like, fully open with some, some raunchy shit. Yeah. yeah, he deliberately was like, what if... I think he was maybe into the thrill. He was like, what if I just position it right oh towards my God, the he door did a danger deliberately. I think he did was ding a danger wank. Um, this is not uh, a kind of supported by any evidence from the text, but... <laughs> it's okay, oh everybody's well. allowed to have that. The, the, author, the author is dead. It's my truth. <laughs> the author is dead. And so we have the entry of his friend, Liz, um, who comes in and seems to be, it seems to be like a long established mm -hmm. relationship. Like she's kind of like saying you have to go into hospital. He's like, no, I won't do that. I don't have health insurance. Like it's a, an argument that they've gone through all the time. That's only really disrupted by the fact that missionary boy is still just awkwardly standing there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This guy, Thomas comes in, is like good looking, adorably awkward, um, and but desperately wants to convert Charlie to... I don't know, become a big ball of light or something and renounce his body. I can't, mm -hmm. you know what? New life, the apocalypse church. Sure. And we find out that Liz, um, who is Charlie's friend, as we know at the time, grew up in this church, but uh, rejected it very early on. And so essentially kicks this guy out and says, GTFO. No, thank you. Also, just casually drops. Oh, yeah. So that church that you're part of killed <laughs> Charlie's boyfriend. He's not going to be converted to your church. And you're like, give me that exposition, Liz. <laughs> Let me know the trauma. Mm. Okay, let's go. Let's go. So Liz does a, um, a medical examination of Charlie and is like, you need to go to the hospital. Charlie says no, because he doesn't have insurance and he doesn't have any money. Liz says being in debt is better than being dead. Mm. America, am I right? Uh, uh so free as a new yorker i can um attest to how free it is here so she finds out that he has or or um assesses that he has congestive heart failure and says that he'll be dead by the weekend and the movie continually reminds us with us with um little slates that say monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday all the way through the movie at this point, we also get one of our first of many uh, Charlie Eats stuff on screen uh -huh. scenes. Um, so Liz passes him a bucket of fried chicken and they deliberately like have him eat it extremely messily and they turn the foley up 
really high in the background and also add this like ominous mm -hmm. horror score to the background of any time mm. he eats. So Foley being like the, the sound effects of like what's happening on screen. So like the sound of him eating is like so intense. And I don't think we see yeah. anyone else eating in the movie, right? Like it's just him and he, and like, cause he made his, his daughter makes him a sandwich later, but I don't think we ever see her eating it. But we don't see her eat it. We see his ex-wife drinking. That's it. That's it. And there's, and it just felt really like, oh, okay, are we doing this? Like, mm -hmm. cause I even, there's like, we see that he, uh, we see elements of his routine that does show that he has like, uh, decent hygiene in terms of it's not that he's like so depressed that he's finding it difficult to shower like all of these elements are things that are set up and yet they constantly show him in like sweat like drenched clothes with like all of this stuff that is a really specific choices that they made of like how to portray him versus how to portray everyone else yeah I don't, I don't know about him and like it, we're showing him showering, um, but I really just think that the, that was a chance for them to show off the fat suit and to get the Oscar. No, but that's the thing is that to show off the fat suit, they decided to include that scene, which suggests that he is yeah. like his hygiene is, is actually fine. It's not that he's like uh, the, in their argument about his mental health crisis that because it is very true that like when you're in the middle of a mental health crisis, when you are so depressed that you mm -hmm. and, and are like stuck in this grief, that it's completely legitimate for you to let go of your like hygiene routines. Like that is not something that mm. we should shame people for. But that wasn't what they were then showing on screen. So they were both showing this shower scene to get to show us this fat suit while simultaneously mm -hmm. suggesting that he had ish hygiene issues, which are like very tied to this like demonization of his fatness. Yeah, it was just a really weird sure. like combo of like trying to really hammer home the idea of like, oh, this is a really gross body that we're looking at, mm -hmm. which is really frustrating to me yeah. that that was that they were not just saying like, we are presenting this body neutrally and you and your own biases are gonna tell you uh, what you think about it and these other characters are gonna talk about how they feel about it. It was like, okay, but just in case you didn't think it was gross, we're gonna do some stuff that we don't do to any of the other characters in any way in order to try and impress upon you how you should be feeling about it. And I, I see myself as a relatively resilient individual, you know, stiff upper lip and all that. But I, so I have a, a history mm -hmm. of eating disorders. This was, this was not yeah. fun <laughs> um, to watch at all like it really it really leaned into and really amped up the grotesque nature of it to i think of i and hey i understand like the technique of kind of like trying to push an audience to see what they can tolerate and to actually make them feel something but i feel like this was really to the extreme yeah. uh and i don't think it was necessary to me the disgust was all about feeling disgust at charlie not feeling disgust at like the eating disorder like it wasn't to me like yeah or the or the, the reasons that he has um uh, that he's in this mental state right exactly or the reasons that's happening and the thing is Everyone else in this movie also has a lot of shit that's going on, right? But they didn't really mm -hmm. have any kind of the same sort of uh, like visceral connection to those issues. They all have similar things that they are all leaning into. Every single character, his ex-wife mm -hmm. has drinking, um, his daughter and the religious guy, they both smoke pot. You've got Liz who smokes. Like they yeah. all have vices that you could argue feel similar things but are never shown in the same level as disgust as like they're yeah. eating they're never doing like 
zoomed in shots of the fag end as it's like zooming into the tar in her lungs like that's not how it's dealt with and it felt like that to me felt like a really weird standard yeah double standard i also at this point put this essay is not good um about (laughs) the essay that it turns out an eighth grader wrote so i'm like fair yeah yeah, yeah. an eighth grader (laughs) i had to look this up is 13 or 14 i do think it could have been better yeah yeah it wasn't it wasn't really an essay but i did I did really like it because I've never thought about that interpretation of Moby Dick before that he puts in all of the boring shit about like the anatomy of whales to save us from the really sad chapters where the world dies. Uh, and I do actually, I'd read that again and again if I'd think that my child was a genius if they gave that to me. That's very fair. I mean, at the time we didn't know it was the child's essay. So I was just like, this no, essay yeah. simply not good. And I was really worried for a second that it was like Alan's essay. And I was like... <laughs> Alan's in night school. Like Alan's a full adult in night school that you and you're just like, it's so good. I'm like, maybe it's all about how love makes you blind to how bad your <laughs> how bad your boyfriend's writing is. But no, it was his child, it's fine. So the mm-hmm. next day Speaking of child. Speaking of childs, the next mm-hmm. day essentially, his daughter arrives. We meet Ellie. And he hasn't seen her in a long time. In fact, like eight years since she was eight. And he basically decided to go live with his boyfriend and her mum clearly like there was an ultimatum like you can't spend time with her if you're going to be doing this you've broken down the marriage like all of this stuff and so clearly now that he knows that he has heart failure and he he isn't interested in having any kind of treatment to stop it he knows he doesn't have long for this world so he's like i guess i'm reconciling mm-hmm. with my daughter and she's not mm-hmm. doing well the first thing she says when she comes in yeah well the first thing she says when she comes in is does this mean i'm gonna get fat lovely and then we get kind of like a to and fro between charlie and ellie of like how's school how are you doing and she's like well i just got suspended it turns out that she posts stuff on facebook yeah that was wild to me that they chose facebook Mm-hmm. And they so deliberately had aged this movie by having all of the Trump stuff and the Bernie Sanders stuff on the television. So I was like, it can't even be like 20 years ago, like Jesus. Yeah, it's it's in tw- it's set in 2015 or something like that. So they yeah. were like, sure, that's a choice that this child is posting on Facebook. But you know what? We I let it go very quickly. I was like, come on, Roan, stick with the movie. Don't mm-hmm. be don't be concentrating on how this like Gen Z child is on a boomer website. Um, so Charlie basically bribes her to spend more time with him. He, he's already had like this death sentence. He's looked up um, how long he could expect to live and it says call 911 and he's not going to end up doing that. And uh, Liz has already told him he's only got until the end of the week to, to live. And so this is kind of like, what? This is my last chance to get to know my daughter. Um, so he offers her all of the money that he has in the bank, $120,000, if uh, she spends time with him and he also says that he'll write an essay for her so that she doesn't fail school um lol what's a bit of plagiarism for someone who's about to die you know what i mean he's just like you know what why not you're what one last yeah that's, this is my bucket list baby spend some time with my daughter plagiarize it's all good she also before she leaves demands that he walks to her like without his mobility aid and as soon as that scene mm. happened i was like oh boy <laughs> We're doing this, are we? Like, I was like, there's going to be a scene later on where he manages to do it just through the power of love or some shit. And I was like, okay, cool. Um, getting getting ready for that. Rowan, I swear to God, I, I don't see any of this coming. <laughs> it's the old pattern recognition. And, and, and that's just, it, it works on me. It, which is why it works on me every single fucking time. <laughs> because I'm just like... Oh wow, that's just a scene that doesn't. That's they're not going to call back to that later on. You're like that's simply a scene. Then I mean I okay. So here's here's a confession for you, Jazza. I haven't actually split this into three acts in my head. So I guess mm-hmm. at the point at which the second act appears for you, 
just suddenly be like, well, well, well. I'm ready. I'm ready. Second act time, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we get the return of Liz. Um, all of this movie happens in this one room, basically. Like the the one very, house. Very staged. Mainly time. one room. Almost like it was a play before. Um, <laughs> and they really lent into that. And so they kind of have a conversation about Ellie. Liz clearly is like a friend uh, to Charlie, like knows a lot about this stuff, like knows that he's not meant to be seeing his daughter. He, mm-hmm. it turns out, has been checking her Facebook and has seen that like she doesn't have friends. She posted a picture of a dead dog. Someone commented calling her a dyke. It's not looking great. Ellie's not really looking like she's uh, got it all together. And then at this point, we get another one of the Charlie eating scenes where he eats the sandwich, starts choking, and Liz has to like save his life. Oh my God, this was also just horrific. And he again starts apologizing. Charlie spends about 50% of his time saying sorry. And yep. I'm like, babe, I just wish you could love yourself as much as you're, you know, loving and nice to other people. As we loved you in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so... This choking scene was also uncomfortable to watch, but I didn't get the same visceral reaction to it and like the discomfort that I had from the eating stuff, which seemed really fetishized and extreme. This felt like extreme, but real, Mm. to be honest. Like the fear of choking, of him not being able to breathe, the panic of Liz, but also her knowing what to do, leaning him over, like whacking him on because she's tiny and he's huge literally using her whole body to to slam into him to get this out of his throat i actually thought that this was this was the vibe that i kind of i would have appreciated more it didn't feel like it was just shocking for shocking sake it felt very visceral i don't know if you felt differently about this scene compared to some of the other kind of like extreme stuff um I don't know. I kind of, in my head, like all of these scenes ended up blurring together. They were sort of just like, this is the decision that you've made. Because if it was like you were making a list of like, mm-hmm. okay, there's this fat character and we're going to get him to eat. What's he going to do? And it'd be like, oh, I want a scene where he's got grease all over his mouth because he's tearing into that fried chicken. Oh, I want a scene where he's, mm-hmm. he eats so fast he chokes. He can't even eat. He's so excited about food he chokes himself. Like it just felt like one of those things where in the context of the, like if it had individually been a scene, it would have been maybe would have had more of an impact on me than the fact it just like, there was just so much of it packed into the movie. That was like, I don't know how much it feels like necessarily real to me when it's like piled on top of other stuff. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. Also at this point, I, I made the note, uh, he's a very good teacher, to be honest. He's giving some very good advice about these essays. <laughs> uh, spoiler, he gets fired. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, annoyingly, uh, up until then, he's very good. Um, but it means that we also see him critique Ellie's essay and essentially he wants her to rewrite it, being very earnest, like, yeah, you can do it, you're great. And she's like, I do not give a shit, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But we find out at this point that she, it's not that she's like a, a student who just doesn't care or doesn't give a shit about this subject. Like she's read the poem, but she just mm-hmm. has very derisive feelings about it. And he, because he's a good teacher, is like, oh, dope, write that. Which is, to be honest, very me when I was doing teaching English, where if someone didn't mm-hmm. like something, I was like, sweet, yeah, if you can if you can argue that. Just tell just me about tell how, me how much you hate it. it. That also works. Just use some quotes from the text. He also keeps on trying to get her to write. Mm. And she sits down and writes, and I'm going to use the R slur here. This apartment smells. This notebook is retarded. I hate everyone. Which is a haiku. It's a haiku. Which actually, when he realizes, I was like, that's clever and quite funny. Yeah, I really like I really like that kind of like this boundless optimism that he has. Like it was like a yeah. rock and a heart, like a immovable <laughs> object, like 
thingy and, uh, the other yeah, one and you, unstoppable, unstoppable force. force that's the one where it was just mm -hmm. his like sunshine personality trying to be like wow you're so talented and great i love you so much he seems so he lovely. Seems so I just wish that Charlie didn't have to go through losing his boyfriend. Like, I think it's just really sad. Well, listen, the gay the gays have got to be buried. If I know anything about Hollywood, it's that they'll bury some gays, and they buried two in this. The only two who were two, the only yeah. two who were in fact in the movie, and one of them wasn't even in the movie, other than being in a cute little photo. But at this point, he bas she asks him, you know, well, why are you fat? Like, why did you gain all this weight? And he talks about the fact that he was like has had an extreme period of grief over the loss of his boyfriend. And she kind of reminisces, reminisces maybe a more positive word for what she's doing, but she talks about the fact that like, she remembers the boyfriend coming over while the mum was away. So this clearly was an affair rather than he realized he was gay, broke up and then had this boyfriend. Yeah, And, the, and specifically remarks that like, she remembers that that day that they had steak, which they, he'd like never cooked anything that nice for her or them or his or her mum. Mm -hmm. She kind of uses, she's very like manipulative in a very savvy way. So she uses her attention as a kind of reward. So if he refuses to answer something, she immediately just goes back on her phone. Not necessarily because she's bored, but because she's like, oh, okay, if you don't want to engage with this, if you don't want to give me what I want, then I won't give you what you want, which is time with me. Mm -hmm. And then like, he essentially goes to cry in the bathroom telling her he's fine, telling her sorry, like all of this stuff, because he clearly knows he doesn't have a lot of time left. So this is kind of like a now or never situation, even if it is painful to have her say these things to him. Do you believe in any of the optimism that Charlie has towards his daughter? Because actually, I think she is a shit and she doesn't deserve any of this. Yeah, but I think that Charlie doesn't think that. No, 100%. Yeah. Of course she does. I, th I, course I fully think that he is like genuine. It's not just like a the the last like hope of a dying man. I think he genuinely is just like a night. Like, and we see later on the wife kind of the ex-wife says like, oh God, you're still like this, are you? Like you're still this optimistic mm -hmm. little shit. Mm -hmm. So this essentially the next section is much like the rest of the movie and that various people come in and out of Charlie's house. And so <laughs> we, Liz returns, for example, and we find out that Charlie's boyfriend, Alan, was actually her brother. And that the reason why the church sort of quote unquote killed him is because he was driven to kill himself by the sort of homophobia and rejection from his family, being kicked out of the church, all of this kind of stuff. And so we have this now maybe deeper understanding of Liz and Charlie's relationship. We also have this recurring character of the pizza man, I'll call him, who we don't see. He just like mm -hmm. yells from outside the door. He, who's quite sweet. He just keeps on checking in and goes, hey. hey. And then he's like, hi, like I thought you'd want to know my name. I'm Dan. And so it's like, it's one of those things where everyone seems so concerned about Charlie's weight during this. And like, I understand mm. that at the point at which we enter his life, it's like, this is the critical moment of like, it, he is literally dying. But like, it feels like with these scenes, the, the the real issue here is like his isolation, loneliness and like mental decline in terms of his health yeah. mentally. Cause like the whole movie is in one room, but instead it's like, no, actually his weight is like the only thing we're going to focus on mm. in that way. So Ellie does a little bit of manipulating says, don't you want to, don't you want to get to know me and spend time with me? And then she fixes him a sandwich, a quote unquote small one, um, but she crumbles up some ambient in it. And this is where we get to my act two, which is the ambient party and its aftermath. Mm, let's go. Drugs, 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 drugs. Mm -hmm. Drugs, drugs, drugs. <laughs> So at this point in the podcast, I just wanted to jump in to let you know about something very exciting that our podcast 
collective multitude is running if you this is especially for you if you have ever wanted to start a podcast or if you have started it but you want to level up everyone can technically start a podcast but maybe you're you know you, you've heard that but you're like I am um, I w- but I want to know exactly how and also like how do I grow it so the more people listen to it and how do I like what are some of the pitfalls or hurdles that I might come across and how do I overcome them all of those questions are more exactly why Multitude is offering classes for podcasters by podcasters. Over the course of four weeks, you can learn from weekly instruction, hands-on homework, and lots of valuable feedback from your instructor and your classmates in our online classroom. But if you can't commit to an entire four weeks of class, if you're like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing next week, let alone in four weeks, then the Multitude Extension School also offers comprehensive one-day seminars essentially something for everyone whether you're looking for something long term to dig into or just a little taster so if that has what your appetite then you can learn more about the dates the curriculum and all the technical details or if you're already sold you can just register today by going to multitude.productions forward slash classes i'd also just like to say a massive thank you to returning sponsor regular sponsor squarespace for sponsoring the queer movie podcast if you don't know what squarespace is honestly where have you been are you okay have you been in a coma for, have you been lost in the woods for the last 10 years? If so, I guess I've got to tell you, if you're looking to build a website for yourself, for your business, or just to spread the story of your incredible time living in the woods, then Squarespace is the all-in-one place to do just that. You can use it to build a website, set up an online shop, or connect with uh, other people who are interested in you, your business, or indeed your time in the woods. So we actually use Squarespace to make the Quinn Movie Podcast website. I also used it to make my own website. I have used Squarespace since I started using websites, honestly, after a horrendous foray with HTML programming in school, never again. Um, And because I've never been relaxed a day in my life, have a ton of projects and also social platforms that I'm all over. Squarespace has been perfect because not only can I add all the different tabs, take people to all information about the different projects, but also it lets me link to my social media directly so that I can display posts from social profiles on the website itself. And then also has a ton of analytics and insights. You know, as someone who works their day job making YouTube videos and is inundated with analytics, there is something deeply satisfying about being able to figure out like where are people coming to the site from? Uh, what keywords are being used to find you? And I'm sure those will be particularly useful to those of you who are, you know, more business savvy than me and don't just like to look at the analytics, but actually, you know, use them. There are also some very exciting features like a donation function. So you can encourage donations on your site for a cause that you care about. The design functions on Squarespace are an absolute lifesaver. They are incredible. It can make your website look absolutely beautiful with no creative or artistic skills necessary from yourself. They basically do it all for you. Just got to click some buttons and maybe choose some colors. And the bit that I think is particularly useful is the fact that it makes your website look actually good on mobile as well as desktop because... Obviously, me and Jazza are ancient, but the young people these days are using their mobile phones uh, to visit websites, it turns out. And if you try and make a website from scratch on your own, um, it's actually very tough to make it also look good on mobile. So Squarespace has very much got you covered there. So if that sounds up your street, then go check out squarespace.com forward slash queer movie for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code queer movie to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. 
And of course, the podcast is also brought to you by our amazing patrons over on Patreon. If you're interested in supporting the podcast and also getting some very fun little perks as a thank you, then head over to patreon.com forward slash the queer movie podcast. As a thank you for your support, we have all kinds of perks available from access to our exclusive discord to top 10 recommendation lists of different genres each month of queer movies to our monthly queer movie watch along that we do together as a lovely little community it is so much fun so if any of that sounds interesting please go over patreon.com forward slash the queer movie podcast to check it out okay now back to the episode and then we get to the part of the uh, movie act two which I'm calling the ambient party and its aftermath. Mm, love a party and its aftermath. Who doesn't? Um, this is a pretty low-key party because Charlie is asleep for mm-hmm. all of it. But, you know, it, I'll still count it as such. So Ellie offers to, to make Charlie a sandwich, makes him a sandwich, but apparently has crumbled some ambient into his food. Um, so he uh, falls asleep in his wheelchair um, while she sits in the back and smokes some weed. Thomas, the religious boy, arrives and she essentially does some information gathering on Thomas and finds out that, well, confronts him that he isn't from New Life, this church that um Alan and Liz were from, and finds out that he ran away from home after stealing from his other church. He was in Iowa or Idaho, one of those ones. He was in Iowa, he's now in Idaho. I fully, for about two seconds thought this was taking a real turn this movie I was like oh god this guy like who's been lying the whole time secret identity no he literally he was a missionary now he's he's still a missionary he's just a missionary in a different place and he was a little bit naughty because mm-hmm. he smoked some weed and then took some money so he could run away and I was like okay I really thought we were getting so like I guess yeah it was like a, it's it's going to continue to be this quiet movie that it has been but she deliberately as soon as he starts confessing that he stole some money to run away she starts recording the conversation mm-hmm and we assume that it's because she's going to post it online like she has. To with Facebook. All of the other photographs that she's taken. To Facebook. And importantly, also, uh, Charlie finds Alan's old Bible, which has loads of notes in it because he hides in their old room. Mm-hmm. And he takes the Bible because that's a totally normal thing for, you, for someone to do, to just take the possessions of this man's dead mm-hmm. boyfriend. Totally fine. Yeah. Totally uh, chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally okay. It's it's squ- squatter's rights squ- or whatever. <laughs> if you come in a room, you're a squatter, you can take anything you like. Those are the rules. Yeah, exactly. I've stolen half of your D&D books, mate. You <gasps> haven't even noticed. What? So then we have Mary arrive, right? This is the point where Mary arrives. Yeah, yeah. Liz's mum gets there. Yeah. So she arrives. Uh, Liz is there too. And Mary is so angry. Oh my God, Ellie, you're such a little shit. I can't believe you've drugged your dad. Liz hooks him up to an oxygen tank. And then Liz and Ellie uh, bounce while Mary and Charlie, I guess, have a nice time reminiscing about the good times on the beach and nothing bad mm, happens. Yeah, they're not having a horrible argument. Everything's so chill. Mm-hmm. And you just see it's like just annoying optimism. Like Mary shows Charlie a post that Ellie made of like a photo of him with this like really horrible caption. And he's like, oh, she's a really strong writer. Like it's actually a mm-hmm. skill to be able to bully that well. Um. <laughs> hey, he's not wrong. Truly incredible. I, we, I think we do have to talk about 
I think this scene, the Mary Charlie scene, is the reason that Brendan Fraser got the Oscar and the reason he was nominated and the reason he got the Oscar. It's the the bit that is always, that was clipped for a lot of the award shows where he, like the tension builds and builds and builds and he's like red-faced and emotional and he talks about Ellie being the one good thing that he's done with his life, which also I think is just not, true he's clearly being a good teacher Mm. he um had a lover who he cared about an awful lot but i guess he feels like that's the only thing that is kind of like left Mm. but i genuinely we've we've talked about the a lot of the problems of this movie i think that the performances in this film are outstanding Mm. and warrant the attention that these performances have had broadly this is a fantastic cast doing fantastic work it's just the source Mm. material is a bit lacking gross. yeah i'd agree with mm. that um mm-hmm. sorry go and sorry, tell me about down the, down pizza, the man. pizza man appears um mm. so he at this point like we see him see charlie for the first time so normally he just like mm-hmm. drives off they've done this little ritual yeah they've done this little ritual of like talking through the door charlie's like uh, yeah the money's in the in the post box okay bye dan like drives off but this time dan stays to watch from afar from a distance Mm. as charlie comes out to grab the pizzas and then like runs off dramatically as if he's so terrified and disgusted by seeing charlie which is a wild concept and scene it is a really weird thing because as a viewer all i see at this moment when he like he he shuffles out of the door on his wheelchair to pick up the pizza and all i see is like charlie being sad but he still has like these brendan fraser kind of eyes and i don't empathize with the disgust that i think dan is meant to view charlie with but then the movie don't worry because the movie um gives us that disgust in spades because this sends charlie into a binge eating spiral where he does double decker bologna and ranch pizza sandwiches and uh kind of goes into again like it's it's like when he was eating fried chicken or when he was having the choking episode where the ambient music like really ramps up and uh, like everything is kind of like heightened and it is really gross i again found this scene really really difficult to watch and then in kind of like a fit of like heightened rage or whatever or this heightened emotional state he sends out an email to all of his students say um, fuck all of this shit. Why don't you write something honest? Huh? Huh? Bitch. And then this is where I get to act three, mm. which is, um, oh God, why am I actually crying? <laughs> yeah, I annoyingly might also have had to have named the act that because I was literally two seconds before I started crying, I was like, Jazza said this was like a really sad movie. I think maybe I was thinking I might cry. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh God. So that uh, recording that Ellie just made of Thomas doing his little crime confession, she actually managed to track down and send it to his parents who have decided to forgive him for the stealing and want to reconcile and bring him back home and everything's going to be so fine. I'm fully not convinced. Everyone seems to think that Ellie sent it to be like a nice person. Fully not convinced that that's the case. Absolutely not. She was trying to be a little dick, but... um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she tried to be a dick and it backfired. Sure, let's believe she was doing it because she magically she magically knew that Thomas's parents would be nice to him. Absolutely uh-huh. not. Um, but Charlie obviously is like, oh, she's the best. I love her so much. Mm-hmm. Incredible. So Thomas, uh, Thomas has come back to tell him that 
and then says, lol, your boyfriend died because he chose to be gay with you. Um, and funnily enough, Charlie... Charlie didn't like that very much. Um, Charlie's like, I think my exact uh, note here was Charlie is like, yeah, nah, mate, fuck you. <laughs> but like in a nice Charlie way. Yeah, exactly. Dramatic acting. So uh, Thomas fucks off to be a missionary back where he came from, I guess. And we never see him again. Charlie then tells his class that uh, because of the email he sent and the complaints that came through, he was um, he's lost his job. But there were loads of really uh, people responded to his call for honesty. So I actually really, I actually, this is where I start to kind of like well up a little bit. So the messages that he talks about were my parents want me to be a radiologist. I don't even know what that is. And then I realized I don't even know what a radiologist is either. I'm sick of people telling me that I have promise. And I'm coming to the realization that my life just won't be that exciting. And then he turns on the cam I think unnecessarily does a full body shot. Yeah, he's like panning himself. <laughs> yeah, down he does like a again, full body like, pan. Hey, it's, it's very me. OnlyFans, but it's 2016, so I don't think it exists yet. And then he throws the laptop across the room. Yeah, he's a dramatic bitch, and mm-hmm. I love it. And he just goes yeet, yeet over thing, and then Liz comes over to check on him, like. Again, because again, we're just in the same house and everyone's coming and going. Liz is sort of like, this is the kind of uh, little climactic bit of her being like, I can't do this anymore. Like I had to watch my brother like mentally decline and I'm watching you mentally and physically decline. And it's like really fucking tough for me to do this. Where to just think about yourself, Liz. Uh, and then we see, <laughs> And then we see Charlie's like specifically his grief around Alan is a lot tied in with guilt that he was not enough for Alan, that he was not like he really wished that even though Alan had all these issues before he even met Charlie, that Charlie could have been that person to like pull him out of the water and like save him. And that just wasn't the case. Uh, And then we see the thing where um, he wasn't even allowed to identify. So he, we, we think he died by suicide by drowning himself. And we find out that Charlie didn't even have the chance to identify the body because they weren't, um, because they weren't married because they weren't considered family, which is tale as old as time. Mm hmm. But then frustratingly, that extremely poignant moment made me very frustrated at the very end of this movie. But it's fine because before then, uh, essentially Ellie storms in. Mm -hmm. They always happen to be there at the same time, all these characters. It's Mm -hmm. great. Uh, So Ellie storms in and Liz basically tells her Charlie is dying and Ellie demands to talk to him. About the essay. Kind of about the essay uh, because she submitted the essay and it, you know, didn't do Mm -hmm. very well. And then he's all like didn't you even read the essay that I wrote for you? And she's like, what? And he's like, read the essay. And then reveal the essay is the essay he's got the guy to read right at the beginning that he's Mm -hmm. memorized that he's known the whole time, which is her essay from eighth grade about Moby Dick. Mm -hmm. What? And every, so I watched this in the, the first time I watched this was in the cinema. Everyone sobbing, uncontrollable sobbing. And, uh, like all of the uh, like this is the reason that we have that big emotional release is because the movie kind of like pushes all of these boundaries and really takes you to kind of like emotional extremes throughout the movie but it shows charlie's humanity and we empathize with kind of like that cathartic release that charlie is having with his daughter for whom like he's he's really had like an unsalvageable relationship and it does all of the poetic devices of kind of like calling back to this to the uh, him trying to walk to her eventually to the essay that has been kind of referenced throughout the whole movie 
I mean, it, it like it, it works. <laughs> Like everything that this movie intended to do with its audience and leave not a single dry, ha- dry eye in the house, it works. And I, I don't know of many kind of like movies that have this kind of like such a cathartic ending, you know, that is so like literally the lights went up in the cinema and, and everybody was there like. <laughs> I had a slightly different uh, reaction to the ending. I like had a real like jerk into crying but then a jerk out of being that emotional almost immediately so i think i had the jerk into crying around the like you're the best thing i've ever done please read it to me daddy please like all of those lines i was like oh god this is really like this is a really mm-hmm. feels like a really sad real moment but then she's like reading the essay and you're like is he the whale is he is she Ahab? Like, is, is, you started thinking, essentially. Is the big poor animal without emotions meant to be Charlie, who canonically in this movie is all fucking emotions? Mm-hmm. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, this is, like, what is happening in this weird metaphor that's meant to be the emotional crux of this whole thing? Mm-hmm. So I got confused. I and then... Uh, Rowan, just lean into your lizard brain. I know, you think too much. I know. I was like, wait, is that meant to be Charlie? And then Charlie dies. Well, we think... Yeah, Charlie dies um, and it flashes white. And then the last thing we see of him is him in this happy moment of him on a beach with his ex-wife and his daughter, who's a child. And I'm like, wait, what? Like that's meant to be his bit. After all that talk of like an afterlife in which he wanted to like be with Alan and all and all the idea of like loving who his daughter is now and finally getting to like, that he was like, no, I'll just, my my flash of happiness as I like have this euphoric moment on my face is actually going to be a flashback to this beach while I was like closeted with this ex-wife that I hated and this daughter, because that's like what a happy family is meant to be. I was like, oh, fuck off. What the, what was that? Um, and then it ended. Yeah, what you did, Rowan, was you think. You thought, I know. Yeah, it's annoying. Um, it's annoying it was that a I huge do that. Mistake. Huge I know. mistake. I need to turn my brain off. I really do. It's a <laughs> it's a real frustrating uh, organ to have. <laughs> not the organ <laughs> okay that's the end shall we go into ratings yeah let's so all that's left to do is for us to give this movie our very special rainbow flag rating so we're going to choose how many stripes of the pride flag we think it deserves and also which stripes in particular based on what those colors symbolize so red for life orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, blue for harmony, and purple for spirit. Jazza, how many stripes are you giving and what stripes in particular? I I don't... I kind of want to give it two or three. So let me go through mm, because, okay. because I like the idea... Like, Lizard Brain loved this ending. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as I thought more than five minutes about it, I hated everything. Um, <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to give it red for you said life but it also means sex because of mm-hmm. that sean cody moment at the fair, beginning fair. Um, i'm gonna give it purple for spirit because we ascend to the heavens at the end love turn that. into a big ball of light and then that's it we're gonna stick with two okay mm-hmm. i agree with you i'm gonna go nature because there's that cute bird we didn't mention the bird but there is uh, oh, a yeah bird. i don't i didn't really understand what the bird was meant to be was it like I know, freedom ch- i know i think it was like charlie's a nice person <laughs> Like, even though oh, he finds sure, it difficult yeah. to get around and stuff, like, he's always re- topping up this bird food for this, like, cute little bird. Mm-hmm. And also then, like, his daughter smashes it because she's like, wow, I can't believe that you could care for another, like, living creature that wasn't me. Fuck you. Um, so, yeah, I'm going with the green for nature and then also, yeah, the purple for spirit because he's going up to the spirit in the sky. 
spirit in the sky um, in the sky <laughs> uh yeah i think i think we agreed on that one look at okay. us go oh no well then something must have been wrong with the movie <laughs> Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. If you enjoy these episodes, we ask that you consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, We recently uploaded an episode where we reviewed The Last of Us and all of the queer themes in The Last of Us. I um, drool over Pedro Pascal a little bit, but mainly we talk about the gay stuff. But that was a cool thing that you can get if you join us as a patron. As a patron, you also get to join our monthly movie watch-alongs on our Discord. And at higher levels, you can also get our movie recommendations and a monthly newsletter with the curation of all of the gay stuff that we find on the internet thank you once again to jennifer and toby who are supporting us at the highest tier on patreon rainbow parents we are so excited to have your support thank you we continue the excitement continues um make sure you follow and subscribe us on whatever podcatcher you are using so you're notified about our next episode we have been Jazza John, and that one's been Rowan Ellis. Oh, wait, hold on. I've been Jazza John. And you you've have. Been Ro- yeah, yes. yeah. Thank you so much. We're edited by the incomparable, amazing Julia Shafini, who, in some of the outtakes, had to listen to me um, throw up a little bit in my mouth, but that's fine. And we are also part of Multitude. Find more of their amazing stuff at multitude.productions. Thank you, my darlings. Uh, bye. Toodaloo.